I do hear an echo. Huh. Well, that's strange. Sammy, you have your headphones on, right? I'm getting there. Maybe you should mute me. Welcome, everyone, to Collaboration Radio at the intersection of art, activism, and social change. And yes, we are in an echo chamber of sorts. Here in December of 2023, where everything we say and do gets sketched onto a a digital chalkboard, if you would. So what does it all even matter anyways? It's all recorded, whether we know it or not. And today we're going to be sketching our our time with a very special guest here at Collaboration Radio, a, f- a friend of the company, a board member, and a personal um, friend and brother, but really um, somewhat of a teacher just by being him, being he. Sammy, are you with me? Can you hear me? I am. I'm just getting an echo, and I'm trying to make sure it's not on my end. Oh, it's not here anymore. We don't hear you. They don't hear it on the radio. Oh, yeah, it is on your end. But it's clean on your end. I'm trying to get my my headphones up and on, but I'm good to go. Excellent. I do hear hear an echo of me on your end. Yeah, you have to make sure your speakers aren't on. You only have headphones. Okay, give me one second. No problem. Take your time. You've overcome more difficult things in your life, that is for sure. And we're here live on WCPT 820 AM, Chicago's Progressive Talk Radio, with Collaboration Radio. We're also live streaming on Facebook and WCPT.com and available afterwards on demand on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud. You know, where you get your digital stuff. I am Anthony Mosley. I'm Clever Action's Artistic Director. And um, Carla couldn't be here with me today, but Henry is with me. Absolutely. What's going on, Henry? Not much. It's been a great week, though. And it's going to be a great, even greater weekend. We're having f- about 30 over tomorrow for the Christmas Eve. Oh, wow. Yeah, the um, my... My wife's family will be coming over in droves. They are mostly a bunch of wonderful Colombians, mostly from the Medellin area. Sounds fun. Paisa. And we um, we do lechon. So we will be eating some roasted pork tomorrow. Ooh, I'm jealous. And, and I have the, we'll have the, um, the Bears game on. 
and I am in the fantasy football semifinals. Ooh, okay. And um, that's in, all on the mix. I will have the fireplace going in the backyard. It's going to be 50 degrees tomorrow. I don't really dig it. Yeah. It's been raining when it should be snowing. Yeah, it's been crazy. It's been crazy and crazy. But that sounds really comfy and cozy. Yeah, it'll be great. What about you? Um, My dad and sister are in town, so we're all just going to be getting together and seeing each other, which isn't, uh, you know, doesn't happen all the time. So it's going to be very fun and very cool. Um, I don't know what we're eating or what the plans are really, because uh, I'm a bad son who never asks follow-up questions, but, you know, it'll be fun no matter what. That's not a bad son. You just have a lot of faith <laughs> exactly. in your family. You're like, hey, at least we're together. How bad can it be? Ex- yeah, exactly. You know, all the details there, they're whatever. Um, and we just got through the winter solstice. Oh, did we? Oh, yeah, we true. The shortest true. day of the year. True. So this is like, I, I, I feel like I'm doing okay considering how dark it is. Exactly. I started, uh, I, I found I was vitamin D deficient last year. I started really, my doctor gave me 10,000 units of vitamin D one per week for 12 weeks and it and it fixed me hmm. i was really tired and sluggish and then like yeah you're vitamin d because we live in the vitamin d belt basically a little south of uh, st louis and north of that is the vitamin d deficiency belt if you live where we live you cannot get enough vitamin d from the sun you have to supplement that's interesting and vitamin, that makes sense vitamin d is really important so get some vitamin d and um and it's a unique time as we close out the year. And no matter what's going on in your life, I hope you'll be able to find some time to slow down, reflect, and um, celebrate the days getting a little longer because we're still alive. And as long as we're alive, there's a chance. There's a chance that maybe um, things will get better. And our guest today... Um, is a real metaphor, a living, breathing story of things can get better. And you should never give up on a person. And you should never give up on yourself. And the things that hurt us can actually teach us. Clever Action Radio, and that's Sammy Rangel, and we're going to hear from Sammy in a little bit. Clever Action Radio is sponsored by the Joseph and Bessie Feinberg Foundation and donors and members like you. Email radio at collaboration.org to get an ad or a sponsor, and uh, go to collaboration.org to learn more. Become a member for as little as a dollar a month. Get in the know, support the work, like the two-time Emmy Award-winning Trial in Delta and our youth program, The Light. Today's episode is also sponsored by AV Chicago, Chicago's leading provider of AV production and event management services. Clabber Action, what are we? We're a 27-year-old nonprofit. Our mission is to build knowledge, empathy, dialogue, and action. And we do that first through theater and live events and, and now through film and documentaries and web series and radio, radio, radio. And we leverage the power of storytelling and community to cultivate positive social change. We, um, we're getting ready to announce auditions for our youth program, The Light. And we have another big organizational announcement about a new home that we hope to be able to kick off the new year. We, we're going we're gonna to play our uh, a rerun next week while we're on hiatus we're going to play the dilla episode 
with the, about the history of Chicago. And then we're on January 6th, we're going to have the three-year anniversary of the insurrection of January 6th. So we're going to be exploring that special day in American history. And if you or somebody you know was at the insurrection of the Capitol, we'd love to talk to them and maybe have them on the show. We've uh, sent an email out to the owners of uh, Tank Restaurant because we know they were there. Um, and we also have a photojournalist and a, and, a, and a journalist journalist who were both there who are going to be on the show. And Carlo will be with me. Uh, but if you want to call in today, we're at 773-763-WCPT. That's 773-763-9278. And if you want to get on the show next week because you're at the Capitol, on January 6th, 2021, well then, call in or email info at climberaction.org. That should be an interesting show. And the WCPT listeners, I imagine, would be all over it. As things have gotten really interesting in Colorado, where they have major climate change issues. I went out there, man, and the Colorado River wasn't running, and you couldn't go inner tubing and the trees that it wasn't getting cold enough to kill all the beetles so the beetles were eating all the trees it's like and they say chicago's gonna gonna return to a, a swampland so you know we're gonna return to what we were it'll be wet around here everybody will have to wear those kind of uh suspender kind of boots that turn into a suspender Waiters, what are those called? I can't wait to see people walking down Milwaukee Avenue with those. So today's guest is a special guy, Sammy Rangel. Sammy, are you here? I am here. Can you hear me? We can hear you. All right. But we hear it. We can still hear an echo of me. Here's the thing. I can't turn off the sound coming out of Zoom. I'm muted, but I still hear you on Zoom. Oh, yeah. You got to turn off the sound on your speaker. So we're going to just turn off. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Are you muted? Sammy and I are Zooming at the same time so that we can make eye contact. Did that work? I think so. Yeah, that worked. There we go. All right. Because you're using the same computer. I get it now. So, Sammy. Um... You have, congratulations on your life, by the way. (laughs) Well, you know, what I got to say in response is thank you for your part in my life, brother. You know, you're one of those mentors, too. Um, Lead the way. Lead the way, brother. uh, Hey, we all all are leading the way in our our own little lane, you know. There'll never be a better Anthony Mosley than this one. And there'll never be a, a better Sammy Rangel than you. And if you're listening at home, you are exactly what you were meant to be. And how you deal with it right now and the next now will determine what you will become. But, um, but um, you know, the, the path that we are gifted as being alive, as being a miracle uh, of, of humanity is not something that we should scoff at, you know? And don't beat yourself over, up over things that are not in your control. Sammy Rangel is also known as the life technician. 
He's made it his mission to scale the ability to share methods and messages of healing across the world. Having mastered his own journey of healing, he understands how to pull that out of each of us. Sammy co-founded Life After Hate, a very unique nonprofit organization founded and operated by former violent extremists. He's the author of Four Bears, The Myth, The Myths of Forgiveness, an autobiography chronicling physical and sexual abuse he endured as a child, which eventually led him down a path of self-destruction and more than 15 years in prison and his path of change and recovery. That's Four Bears, The Myths of Forgiveness. In August of 2012, he founded Formers Anonymous. Formers Anonymous is a national self-help group based on a 12-step model for those addicted to street life, looking for support and answers about change and recovery. And he is a beacon of light in the communities he works with. And I'm proud to say that Clever Action is one of those communities. Welcome to Clever Action Radio, Sammy Rangel. I'm happy to be here, man. Let's do it. So we're going to play the end of his TED Talk from Budapest. Um, and and uh, and I highly recommend going back and listening to the, to the whole um, TED Talk. But before we do that, you know, if... In the world of Marvel superheroes, if if you're you're if you are a superhero, what is your origin story? What did you go through that prepared you to be able to to help others in a way that only you can do it? And I know this is a loaded question because I know about your life, but give our listeners just maybe a short simple answer about like what is what is Sammy superhero Sammy Rangel's origin story came from a doomed planet (laughs) that's for sure man um you know as you know I was about I was midway through my life when I found out um my mom was nine months pregnant with me when she tried to kill my two-year-old brother she beat him with a Tonka truck and um, caused massive damage throughout his body. That was in in 69 when that happened. And, um, you know, I think that just sets the tone for the next 20 years of my life, you know, where, oh, really 29 until I got my my act together. Are we PG too, by the way? Do we? Not? Yeah, we are PG. Okay. All right. Uh this I caught myself. Um so so you know, it's it's not uncommon. Severe abuse, neglect, torture, starvation, um, you know, sleep deprivation, deep humiliation, sexual abuse, um allowing other family members to abuse us and sexually abuse us. Um and then, you know, here I am 54 years later with my family st- still trying to gaslight me like this stuff didn't happen and it isn't true, you know. And I didn't even know I had a brother until I was 45 um, that had, you know, from this situation. I knew I had my um, brothers from after that, but I didn't know I had an older brother. And so, um, you know, just a lot of like a lot of families who suffer that kind of abuse, a lot of secrets, 
a lot of um, incestual type relationships. And I'm not just talking about sexual uh, incest. It's also the total enmeshment of family dynamics and roles and just uh, the way those things play out. There's no boundaries and there's no there's no limits to the amount of ignorance uh, that come out of dynamics like that. And so not knowing this, man, I embodied it. And uh, I used that abuse to turn me into something that I felt would protect me in life. And so I became very violent. I threw myself into um, aggression. Um, I didn't have a lot of hate. I really just wanted to protect myself. You know, I wanted to, I didn't want to be abused by my parents or by anybody else after I ran away from home. And, and so I just started to emulate my parents. I started to emulate the other people in the world around me who I thought were strong and powerful. And to be honest, man, um, my definition of safety was to be aggressive. You know, the, I saw the people who were most aggressive seemed to have the most protection and the most power. And the most ability to control their environment. And so I went after that. I went after that intentionally. And, um, you know, the, the Illinois Department of Corrections did the rest. You know, they put me in some very hostile environments and where somebody with that kind of mentality is vulnerable to what they see around them. And, and I went in a, a street punk, gangbanger, scrappy, big mouth, aggressive kid. And I came out. Violent, angry, hostile. I survived a race riot walking in the door, you know. Um, literally almost lost my life and almost gave up my life for that. In many ways, I did give up my life for that. Um, went down a path of radicalization when I spent year after year after year after year in the hole. Um, I came out and I was a lot of anti-government, anti-law enforcement, anti-white, you know, um, I was fed information that was accurate, but it wasn't used to really tackle the problem. It just encouraged more of the problem by meeting hate with hate and meeting violence with violence. And then, of course, you know, a few years later, here we are. <laughs> well, um, a few, you know, you're right. And and, and if a few years later, there we were. At the New York Public Library for an award ceremony, a global award ceremony from UNESCO, and you were presented the Global Medal of Hope from Forrest Whitaker. So yes. you went kind of a far way from the hole to the top of the mountain of international global recognition for turning you know, your, your chi around and taking all of that that had been done to you and, and being able to actually make it on the other side and tell and help others get there too. It's, it's, it's the folks that if you just heard this for the first time, right, it's really what, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's important to realize that, um, Sammy isn't actually a superhero. He's just a guy. <laughs> and he did, he's, he's now, um, he's now, you got a kind of regular life, bro. <laughs> you got a, 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 a wife and some kids and some land 
and um, um, it's great. Let's go ahead and play this. Uh, it's about two and a half minutes from the end of Sammy's TED Talk in Budapest, um, which is quite remarkable. And then we'll come back. My turning point came with this next question. Sammy. Have you ever hurt anyone the way your mother has hurt you? Since then, my life has been one long apology to my victims, to my siblings, to my children who I had abandoned at this point, including my enemies that I felt had deserved whatever I did to them. And as you can see, getting to this point is still very difficult to talk about. So I didn't want to mess up my final point, so if you bear with me, I'd like to read it to you to make sure that it comes across clear, as I feel that this is the most important part of this message. What I have learned is although the details of our lives may be different, the underlying process of getting stuck or suffering in our parts of life is the same for all of us. We do not have to be victims of our experiences or in the way that we tell our stories. But interestingly enough, stories are the only way out. And it is us who creates those stories. We hold the power to change our stories. And what they represent. I invite all of you to consider if it would serve you well to create a new story and a new path. And to please remember that the things that held you down will one day hold you up. Thank you. That was Sammy Rangel from his TED Talk in Budapest. Was it Danube? Danubia. Danubia, thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, And talking about the importance of sharing our stories, writing your story, those things that hold you down will what one day hold you up that's right and And it's not just telling the story it's mindfulness around how you're telling the story talk about that more if you would you know yeah i think we tell the stories initially from like an autopilot perspective like a reaction it was the worst day ever this was the worst experience ever that really totally sucked things like that right and that's our initial reaction but if your narrative stays focused on just that then that's all it will ever be right and 
we opened up with some of the wreckage in my life at a very high level, right? There's a lot to unpack there, but it was all wreckage. And as long as I told the story from that viewpoint, I was stuck in that wreckage and there was no usefulness. There was no purposefulness. There was nothing, you know, I'm looking to escape my own experience, but the way I'm telling my story keeps me trapped in that past experience in just that way. I'll always be two, three, four, five, eight, eleven 11 years old in that story and that person and that time is always stuck. But and later in life, you know, people that came into my life said there might be something else in there that you're not seeing. And I couldn't, you know, initially, you know, when I wrote the book, you know, Forbears the Myths of Forgiveness, one of the myths I had was that if I told the story in any other way other than the way I was telling it, that it would lose its value. Because it was my recollection of the evidence of what had happened to me. And I didn't want that to be diminished. It had never been recognized. It had never been acknowledged. It had, it had never been made right. You know, there was never any, there was never any apology. You know, and so I thought, well, I have to, I have to keep telling this, eventually to the world until someone makes it right. And then you realize, one, no one can or will make it right. There's just nothing anyone can do about it. But it doesn't help with some of the responses I was getting. You know, that didn't, that wasn't helpful. But on the other side of that, there were plenty of people trying to help me see things that I couldn't see. And so when I realized that my, my wreckage could also be a message, that was the first time that what I thought was garbage actually became material from, and was the only material I had to, from which I could build a life. There was nothing else I could use to build my life from other than the wreckage that was there. You know, so I learned to salvage what I could from it and and start to repair. You know, and here's something I've learned recently. I was so desperate for the people who caused the damage to be a part of my process in the repair that it kept me stuck and waiting in limbo for them to come around. And I realized, you know, one, it's probably not wise to have the very people who help dismantle your life put it back together. And two, if I'm moving at their pace, you know, it's obvious all these decades later, I'd still be waiting, you know, in some dark, desolate hole. No one would be better served by that. And you you lose your own agency, allowing the people who hurt you to have continue to have the control and power. And, you know, that's a very powerful statement, but take it a step further. I went from not knowing I had agency to becoming aware that I had agency. Because when you are a victim of something like that, it's stripped from you. And when it happens at such a young age, especially, you're never informed that you have agency. You know, from the time I was in the womb through most of my adult life, other people always controlled what happened to me and what I was supposed to do and think and feel and act, where I spent my life, what condition, you know, like I was unaware that I even had agency. That was a that was a, an awakening to realize I had a choice in the matter of my life. If you could pick one moment 
and I know we've talked about this stuff, but this is for the radio show, and every time you tell a story, it's it's from a different place. We're not the same person we were. What what was the if you could put your finger on the in your memory? What is the moment of the awakening? Well, you know, I you know, just to be fair to the listeners who might resonate with this or who might be trying to help others who resonate with this, you know, through their process. Normally, there are moments throughout your life that are sent to you, but you're not in a place to receive it. So you don't really know it, but you're you're storing you're storing those nuggets, but you don't know that you're storing them and you don't know that they have value. They're just there. They're placed inside of you in a sense. When the moment comes, when there's a breakthrough, um, and here's for me, and here's here's what made life after hate and all the other work I've done through social work successful. I've known this a long time, and it was because it was given to me and demonstrated, which is where my awakening happened, was when I was finally listened to in a sincere, empathic, compassionate environment, setting, and person. It was embodied by a person. I had been screaming my whole life, I'm being hurt, I'm I'm being killed, you know, I'm being murdered, I'm being abused, I'm being raped, I'm 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 being starved. They're not letting me sleep. You know, they're beating me and these are the things that are, and and it fell on deaf ears anywhere I turned. From the from being a child to an adult, from being as soon as I could start to to ask for help, it just never came. And oftentimes put back in the environment by the people I was reaching out to help from, like they just put me right back in the midst of these folks. Like there was no escape from that, right? And eventually, um, I get in front of somebody who was different than the hundreds of thousands of people before him. And the difference was that he listened. He, he did an incredible job of listening. He validated me. He didn't validate the decisions I made, he didn't validate the wrongs I had done, the violence I had was the kind of person I was at that moment. What he did was he validate me. And after I told my story in depth to this man in a room full of my peers, the very first thing he said was, I can see that you're suffering. And that opened the floodgates. That opened the floodgates. Because up until that point, all I had heard was I was just... You know, I was incorrigible, I was a criminal, I was a waste of time, you know, it's dangerous, you know. And all of those things may be true, but none of that is what pulls you out of hate, <laughs> you know. None of that is the thing that helps you turn. It's, it's when he said, I can see you're just a person who suffered at the hands of, of others in a very terrible way. And he didn't say I'm sorry, but it was like... It was the it was the one thing I was waiting to hear. He let the dam open and it just came out. And and from that moment, right? That was a breakthrough, but from that moment I was completely vulnerable. Like I I didn't have any defenses because he gave me no reason to be on guard. He the way he listened and empathized, it was magical. But now that my guard is down, now I'm primed to hear what he has to say. If he had tried to say anything before that, my guard would have been up and I would have been able to deflect it away. But now that he has earned his way into my heart and into my mind, 
now I'm open to hear what he has to say. And he said two things to me. He said, um, I can see your suffering. And that brought on a bunch of tears for me, like relief, like, like, like I'm stuck on this rock and a ship finally sees me after millions of ships never stopped to help me. Right. And I'm just relieved that someone sees me. Finally. Yes. Finally, man, I was 29 and every day was like a million days, you know, it was like of hell. And, and then he said, he asked me, he's like, I need to ask you a question. And I was like, what is that? And he's like, have you ever done anything like what was done to you to anybody else? And boy, let me tell you, let me tell you why that was important. Because when you become as violent, angry, mean, dangerous, threatening as I had, the one thing you have to do is put your regard for human life aside, for other life aside, and even your own. You don't see people as people. You see them as an instant mean. You see them as something in your way, as an object. And it was the first time I had ever empathized and felt any regret for the things I had been doing for the last 20 years of my life at that point. Wow. So if you're a teacher or a boss or... A, a father, a, a, mother. Father, a, a nurse, a doctor, and you have somebody in your life, and maybe they're younger than you, and you can't figure out what's wrong with them. Maybe, if you're listening to this, remember what Sammy's saying right now, and just see if what happens if you show up and you listen and you see somebody. And if there's somebody in your life that you're thinking of right now, that's really a pain in your you-know-what, and the stronger you try to control them, the, the more they um, are uncontrollable, think about th- what Sammy can offer and just take a moment and really try to see and listen to somebody and that's the power of storytelling because it can help you get into somebody else's shoes, you know. And um, I want to I want to touch something else that you talked about, Sammy. We see these signs, these symbols, these things happen in our life, and they just you, you know, there's no such thing as a coincidence. Sammy and I met by by m- much more than chance definitely destiny that you know tell that story sammy and but but before we tell that story what 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 do you think about about symbols and signs and now that you're able to actually react to them more than you were before tell everybody your your perspective on 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 seeing signs and and doors opening and feelings that there are, there's some kind of divine logic communicating with us along the way if only we will listen and pay attention. Yeah. So I want to answer that, but I got to go back to a, a framing of a statement you made when you said when you're trying to find out what's wrong with them. That's, uh, that's, um, I've learned to, to move away from asking what's wrong with someone. Because when you think of what was happening to me from the time I was born until the time I was 11, the, the serious 
life-threatening abuse that I was getting on a daily basis, any reaction I had to that was not a symbol or a symptom of what was wrong with me. It's what was wrong with my parents, what was wrong with the system, what was wrong in my world. I was reacting out of pure nature and instincts and 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 repercussions, symptoms of abuse. But every, every part of my behavior was labeled, and it labeled me, but it never labeled my family. It never labeled what my mom did, what my dad did, what my uncle did. I don't even know if they ever spent a day in jail for anything they've done to me. You know, so it's not that something was wrong with me. It's what we could be asking is and helping that person discover is what's not working for you right now. Like what what is not working in your life right now? Because now we're fixing the thing around you. We can maybe do something about that. But the messaging about what's wrong with me, I've been told something's wrong with me my whole life. And that's gaslighting at its finest because there was nothing wrong with me. And when you really unpack what I did as a juvenile, you'll see a lot of it was survival. But it was labeled criminality. It was labeled, um, you know, a delinquency. It was labeled truancy. It was labeled runaway, you know. But the things that were done to me were never scrutinized. Everyone got away with everything except me. So that's just that thing. Now... To see the signs the way I see them, the way you described them, and when we talk about my 12-step group, Formers Anonymous, one of the things that is rejected a lot by people who come out of a world like mine, who have ended up going into prisons and forced treatments and foster homes and group homes and spent years in the home, we struggle with the framing of religious, anecdotal, you know, entities, right? Because we feel by the time we get to the point where we're so violent, we feel that our grievances were taken to the world and ultimately all the way to God and they fell on deaf ears. And so we become very distant from anything like that. So that's, that's one thing we're working against. It's, I think it's a symptom of all the hatred we've experienced, you know, and, and you become very pessimistic about life. So what farmers did was take this idea of spirituality and I stole it from social work because when we talk about spirituality through the lens of social work, we're not talking about religion. We're talking about what makes this person feel connected to people, places, and things around him. What are those connections, right? And so for some, it could be a spiritual entity like God, Jesus, whatever, what have you. For others, it might be their freedom. It might be their children. You know, it could, I mean, whatever it is, it's, it's to each his own. Like you have that, right? And so to experience the signs that you see as something positive, you have to feel connected. A lot of the times when we're in that old life, we see these signs and we see them as threats or we see them as in like they're, they're not credible, right? They're, uh, you know, we, we see them as uncontrollable, and so we don't want anything to do with those signs. And we're too distracted with our own pain and suffering to, to really recognize the signs, right? But today, where I'm at, and I think where we can get at through a process of healing and the self-work, the counseling, the therapy, the self-help, the mentoring, the talks, talking with others, right, with peers that have been through things like us, but also people very different than us, right? Like we never would have imagined. Those things 
start to bring back hope into life. And so to believe in the power of manifestation takes trust. And in order to, to have trust like that, your basic needs have to be met first because trust is, a, is not a commodity when you're hungry, starving, cold, threatened, afraid. It's just not something you, you think about very much, right? And so here I am, very mistrusting, and here you are giving me the gold standard of guidance, but I can't take it in. I'm not in a place where I can, I can even um, afford to hear what you have to say, much less want to hear what to have to say. So to be where we're at, it takes trust. And that trust happens um, probably 10th on a list of a thousand things you got to do to, to get there. Because a, a lot you have to, you start to learn to trust little by little, but you don't start from a place of trust when you're in your recovery. Because the world has been so unreliable and so unpredictable. Every step you take in a new world is uncertain. And eventually you start to realize, like, it is okay to be here. And that is why right now in Chicago, as we have new arrivals experiencing their first Chicago winter, without jobs, without homes, without knowing where their next meal might be coming from, it's really up to us to take care of our new community members so that they they can have that baseline. Because what you're talking about is when you're worried about survival, you're in a state of fight or flight. You're in a war zone. And when you're in a war zone, you know, war, um, it'll, it'll mess you up. And there's an amazing PTSD therapist, Sammy, that I've connected with named Peter Sternberg, who is um, doing some amazing reconciliation work where he's going to places of global genocides and mm-hmm. um, and he's doing Tai Chi and Qigong in those spaces and he's mm-hmm. writing a manuscript. He's invited me to go to Vietnam with him. Wow. To the to the you know, into parts of Vietnam. My father was an airborne ranger and did two tours. I consider myself a secondary PTSD survivor. And when I told him that, he said, you have to come and be part of my elder warriors group where we have mm-hmm. civilians and veterans come together to heal. Mm-hmm. And uh, this guy, and I told him about you, you'll have to meet him. But mm-hmm. um, so let's, let's all like, you know, rem- re- remember that these new folks coming to our city via Texas or wherever, they're Chicagoans now. And their future, we we have a stake in it. And it doesn't mean it's not a scarcity net sum game. There's other people we got to take care of too. And if anything, they should inspire us that we are so lucky to live in a place where you would want to seek refuge and that where you want to start your 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 life with your family. As far as God goes, I heard this quote. I really like it. It's from ACDC's road manager, Barry Taylor. God is the name of the blanket we throw over the mystery to give it shape. <laughs> God is the name of the blanket we throw over the mystery 
to give it shape. And I know a lot of people are like, yeah, 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 I know what God is. You don't. Unless you know it's something inside of you and that you are you are also part of it. I would say, <laughs> and that's why they call it faith, right? And isn't it funny that you mentioned that you need to have, I mean, trust, you said. And um, so when you watch the Bears game tomorrow, <laughs> do you have... You have faith in what? <laughs> you well, know, I can tell you it's not it's not it's not the GM or the or the owner or the <laughs> coaching staff. Like it's Sammy I and I are even Justin. We are. You know the thing about Bears fans. You know, it's unbelievable. It's you know talking about trauma and tri- <laughs> tribalism. You know what I mean? It like it makes sense. Like we just. We just, you know, we get the team we deserve, you know, and and I and we and yes, we 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 also get the team that that the Hallis family decides to uh, uh, roll with, I guess. But but like the Bears fans, you know, we kind of we're like we're worse. The Cubs fans, they you know they bleed cubby blue. The bears have been eaten by a grizzly bear. We are just like all over the place, disemboweled and just barely alive. So that should be fun tomorrow. What That's a, the real reason of this show, right? Now. What a great! I mean, it's theater. It's 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 the theater of our times, and it's twisted, and it's American, and it's capitalist, and it's violent, and it's crude, and it's based on greed, and and. Um, and it's going to take us moving beyond a football culture to get beyond tribalism, to be, get beyond Cubs versus Sox, Red versus Blue, Biden versus Trump. I mean, in Italy, they have 50-something political parties. And it's like a battle royale to see which color of the rainbow the people want to shine and 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 so what can we do about it we all got to take care worry about ourselves. focus on ourself if you want to see change in the world start with yourself which is why i have actively been, been trying to learn and be a better white man ally dude dad and i got a lot of work to go and i am where i am what about you, Sammy? You know, you said I live a regular life. Um, for me, it's far from regular. <laughs> you know, uh, I think it's, I'm living a dream life right now, you know, and every so often I wake up and I wonder if I deserve it. You know, and then there's other times when I can't believe I have it that I've gotten here. But I spend most of my time feeling grateful, you know. But on the inside, I'm still, you know, I I have to work very hard to pay attention to that other side of me. It's no it's no danger of rearing its head up. And you know, one of my friends and mentors and coach named Marcus, he asked me one day. He said, "Hey, um, how many times do you feel like you're you've 
come close to crossing the line since you've been out and changed? I said, a million times, right? And he's like, and in those million times, how many times have you actually crossed the line? I said, I haven't. And he said, okay, your whole program is built on the premise that people changed and can change. So when will you accept that that is no longer the way you are and will ever be again? You know, which was to be violent and aggressive because I feel it and I have those thoughts. I mean, I can't escape that stuff. And so for me, my process of change, you know, I am still trying to be more gentle. I'm still trying to be softer. I'm still trying to be lovable. I'm still trying to be more loving. And I think people that know me would say, you're all of those things. But it's not a, there's no end point to that, you know, um, I'm still an asshole, still aggressive. I'm still rough. Bless my children and and the people in my life who have smoothed out a lot of those edges. But if you if you spend any amount of time with me, you would realize like I'm a work in progress all the time, and I accept that. I love that. I read. I I walk outside all the time. I'm I do things that bring me peace. I think for the first time, Anthony, in my life. Since I've moved out here, I have been focused on just having peace in my life. And I find peace is even more fulfilling than happiness. Happiness is a, it's a marketing concept. (laughs) You know, (laughs) people are like, well, I just want to be happy. Well, you know, you go in the bouncy house. You're going to be happy for about six minutes while you're bouncing around. And guess what? Pretty soon, it's going to be purgatory. <laughs> you don't want to be freaking in the bouncy house. I mean, you just, you want, you, it's, it's just, I think it's really about just being able to be aware that we're f- alive, not forgetting it, not forgetting the gift. And if you're born, you know, it's one in a trillion, the odds of being born. If you're in a healthy body and you're not in survival mode, if you're not trying to not get abused or beat or starved or kicked or shot at or 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 bombed, you know, then then you should work to make sure other people can get to that spot. Because if everybody got there and made it their focus to help other people get better, guess what? All of our problems would go away. Well, what do they say? That the best way to defeat your enemy is to make him a friend. Right? And Are you I calling me you, your enemy? No. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, but what the talks that you have had and brought the community together with, what you do is you bring people to this space where for the first time in maybe their whole life, they're hearing something that that challenges their global narrative around people, places, and things that they've had all these preconditions and uh, you know bias and beliefs about. You know, you, you were talking about the new arrivals, but I'm also thinking about South Side of Chicago. I'm also thinking about the projects. I'm also where where just like this um, Netflix documentary called Leavenworth. The guy says, you know, in Afghanistan. You have seven, eight, nine, ten generations of people born into a climate that they're not responsible for that has only been war zones. And uh, that is happening. That is happening in these neighborhoods that I visit and that I'm from. It's my, my story 
is 10, 10 generations old in my family story. I'm the first one to get out of that. You Everyone know, else is still stuck in that. To be alive today, we have to have 40,000 ancestors. You know, oh, imagine that. Imagine yeah. going to, to Wrigley Field. There's 40,000. Every seat and standing room is there. And you're getting up to the plate. And your ancestors are rooting for you. They're saying, Sammy, Sammy. And the pitcher winds up and he pitches you the high hard one. And you manage to turn on it and you hit it on the Waveland Avenue. The thing is, is that 20 years, you know, we are are close friends. And 25 years ago, though, I might have been a guy who you would have looked at and been like, look at that guy. He's everything that I am against. And I would have, might have looked at you and been like, who, who is that guy? And, and so um, thank you for joining us today yes, on Collaboration Radio and, and sharing. And I hope people will, will go check out your TED Talk and then go get your book. And, um, and is there anything you want to leave our, our listeners with as uh, we wrap up Collaboration Radio on December 23rd, 2023? Yeah, just remember, no one is bo- broken beyond repair. You know, nobody. And that doesn't mean that people shouldn't be held accountable, but you don't want to condemn someone, and you don't need to concede good points, but you don't have to condemn in the same breath. Just remember, change is possible. But we need hope to change. It's not just my my job to change. I didn't change on my own. There was a whole slew of people who are responsible for who I am today. And I mean this, Anthony. I'm not just blowing smoke there. You are a part of that process. You improved my life. You embraced me as a friend, as a brother, as a colleague. And I, I, I am and have learned a lot from you. I appreciate it. And the thing is, is that so have I. You have changed me and made me a better person. And I I, I thank you and love you for that. And that's why I'll, you know, we're going to look over the FCC violations that happened on today's show. What a show, Sammy Rangel. (laughs) Catch us next Saturday at 4 o'clock. We're going to be doing uh, the Dilla rerun show, The History of Chicago. And then January 6, 2024, the three-year anniversary of the incident.